You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Well, hello, and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Uh, we're very excited to be joined by a special British guest today. Uh, a lot of you might have heard his name. Uh, I know we definitely have. His name is, is Ken Dine. And I think, Benjamin, you're going to give him a, a brief introduction before we get into this one, right? Yeah, I mean, I could give him a long one, but I think it's... Actually, we were talking before and, and Ken was saying how, oh, you know, he's not one of those who likes to big himself up. So I'll do it for him because he definitely deserves it. He's one of the, I would say, most uh, high... I guess high profile is not the word, but most skilled mentalists in the world. Um, he performed for, he has performed for over 18 years, uh, full time. He was just telling us how he's performed on every country in the world except, uh, I believe, three. It's quite a claim to fame. He has one of the best selling mentalism books of all time, Ben. Uh, his Penguin Lecture is also, I think if you go and look on the site, you'll just see by the number of reviews how, how many people watch yeah. that. It's definitely one of their best selling. People love that. Uh, his client list has included people like uh, Yahoo. Uh, Procter and Gamble, and uh, I'm sure plenty of others that we can we can get into on the podcast. So, welcome, Ken. Hello, thank you. Well, let's get let's get right into it. Honestly, I, I'm interested to hear because we, we've just we chatted a little bit before, but we mostly talked about uh, gaming chairs and potatoes. So, I'm a little more interested to hear where did this all start? Were you you know did it start in some playground in England? Uh, did it start with a magic set? Um, how did this whole kind of mentalism journey begin for you, Ken? I don't really know, but I think a lot of mentalists sort of start off with magic, don't they? And they sort of get mm. get the magic set, and then they do, and then they go, "Oh, fondling with people's minds is is even more interesting." So I'll do that. And I didn't really do that. I never, I actually didn't get into magic until a lot later. Mm. I actually mm. was always really interested in unexplained stuff, UFOs, cults, psychics, right. that kind of stuff. And so I was interested in that. And then through that, I started reading about these things, these pieces of paper that apparently could tell the future. Uh, which um, tarot cards, and I thought that's quite interesting. I'll, I'll learn, I'll learn how to read that. So I started reading tarot cards for my my mum and my mum's friends, and they would come over. I would make them cry. They would leave, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. And then I was just this weird kid. And then somebody, I was, I was sort of looking at sort of mental. Sort of more, I didn't realize it was sort of mentalism then. I saw some things on TV. I saw there was a guest on the Paul Daniels Magic Show who who I now obviously know who that is. It was some really scary looking guy who could predict and influence people's thoughts. I thought that's quite interesting. And it turns out it's Max Maven, mm. who we all know now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I thought, that's freaking weird. So that would be quite good. So I started researching that and I went to the local magic shop here in Newcastle, uh, right here in the Northeast of England and uh, the Bonnie Northeast. And I asked them this mind reading thing that was on the Paul Daniels magic show. How do I, how do I learn that? There was only one book and it was the exorbitant 13 pounds, which I had to save up to get it. And so I bought practical mental effects by Anaman, hmm. started studying that and freaking out my friends or uh, at least um, making them think I was slightly more interesting than I really was. And then <laughs> from, from there, literally my first gig happened because I was in a bar in a pub. 
and I was showing, I was on a date. Uh, well, I thought I was on a date. She didn't think so. Um, and uh, I was on a date and I was showing her some of this, this mind reading stuff. And she went to the, to the toilet. I thought she was climbing out the window, you know, standard stuff. And uh, some people came over and said, Oh, that, that was really awesome. What you were doing. And, and would you, we've got this event next week. Uh, we've, we're, a, we're a theater company and we've got this event. It's upstairs in this pub. Would you come and do a 20 minute spot? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Oh yeah. I'll definitely do some stuff. So the next morning I wake up with a terrible hangover and realize what the hell have you done? You don't have an act. You're not a mind reader. What are you doing? Um, so I cobbled together the worst, some of the worst material you've ever seen. And I did that for 20 minutes and and somebody at the end of that said, oh, that's good. We've got this function happening at the church. Would you come and do something at that? And then that was it, really. And I realized <laughs> that's quickly how you that I was a preacher. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Write down your mother's maiden name. That's it. Yeah, that's the crack. So uh, that's literally how it all began. And what's really interesting is I, <laughs> well, I think it's interesting, uh, is we, is I quickly realized that I wasn't very good. And I really realized that I was really terrible at this. But the only way, and, and boring, and like all of the other things that mentalism is known for and famous for. Um, and I thought, how am I going to get less crap? So uh, what I thought I would do is I would try and do more gigs and, and really expose more people to how terrible this was. But in the process, hopefully learning to be less crap at it. So that's what I did. I thought I just need to get on stage more and, and do more of this stuff and learn the craft, I guess. I really like that. It's kind of I like how you took that attitude of, um, I don't know, sometimes magicians or just people in general can get really frozen, right? When it gets to this point where it's like, okay, I know I'm not very good at something, but I want to be successful at it, right? Um, and so sometimes we can kind of think, okay, well, I'm going to lock myself away for five years and practice in my bedroom until I become this amazing whatever you know amazing entrepreneur amazing magician or whatever but really it's it, i don't know i, I kind of like the analogy of like a farmer it doesn't really work like that for a farmer right you, you got to get out in the field and plant some stuff and plow the mm. ground or else nothing's going to grow right uh, whatever you do mm. however many books you read uh, and so yeah i really like that the attitude of just kind of okay i'm going to pick up more gigs uh, and get going when would you say you kind of realized that okay i'm going to do this for like this is my job now? Or did it kind of just happen organically? Yeah, I've still not decided, really. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I haven't, like, I, I don't really know. It, it just kept happening, and people kept saying, oh, will you come and do this? And then mm. I, I learned a bit about about marketing and business in order to allow myself to get on stage more often. And I realized that a part of that strategy involved me making sure I had my prices higher so I could do more of the kind of parties and events and functions right. and stuff that that i wanted to do because i could say oh that's a lovely hotel i never get to do a gig in my hotel i'm busy doing this you know the church around the corner that's that's kind of a different world so how do i how do i do that and i just sort of kept learning that stuff and and i just keep doing it really so yeah i i, I don't know when i like i did my first paid gig when i was 18 uh i did my last one in january 2020 mm. <laughs> um uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, so I still haven't decided to do it, but I mm. think I'll just keep cracking on, really, because I don't, I can't really do much else. Well, in that <laughs> in that spirit, this question might also be a bad question, but obviously, you talked a little bit 
uh, at least alluded to some of the common downfalls of, of mentalism and obviously the fact that you've carried on and done so much mentalism there's obviously a uh, redeeming qualities too um very much so but did you ever make that conscious sort of like split fork in the road decision i can carry on i can be a mentalist or you know like you said you discovered magic later so like oh i found this now this better thing let me go do that or again has it just been you never sort of stopped doing mentalism yeah well magic's definitely not better than mentalism let's get that out <laughs> Um, but also let's, let's kind of say something else kind of controversial, mm -hmm. which is that mentalism is just a genre of magic. Like it's all the same thing. It's all just sneakily doing things when people aren't looking, you know? So it's all just, a, it's all just, a, it's all the same thing. But, um, no, I mean, I could, I would, there was, there are very few magic tricks that I see and I go, Fwah, I wish I could mm. do that in my show. Cause that's really good. But then I just can't, uh, because of. The, the positioning in in the market that I've created, I guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I I do like what mentalism allows me to do, which is the interaction. It allows mm -hmm. it to be something a little bit more cerebral. Um, yeah, but I don't I, I don't think I could ever do magic and like get paid for it. Because if you think I'm bad at mentalism, you should see my magic. <laughs> well, well, luckily I think you're I mean, quite good. So. Thanks. Yeah, maybe I'll think your magic is mediocre. Yeah, that could be a nice. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm definitely going for. Oh, that's my website, mediocremagic.com. <laughs> Available for weddings, bar mitzvahs, and any other holy ceremony. Yeah, always church. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like it. Um, so tell me, I'm kind of interested. How do people react? Um, as far as like, I don't know. When you tell someone do you tell people I'm a mentalist? Like when you introduce yourself, like mm, how, mm. how does that go in life? You know, just being like, yeah. Cause I think it's yeah. easy as a magician to be like, Oh, I don't have these props on me, so I can't do anything. But as a mentalist, you always have your mind on you, you know, unless you're asleep. In which case, I don't know why you're meeting people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I sort of avoid it. Like I just, well, so, one of the things that definitely I hate is when people say, oh, what do you do for a living? Like, mm. if we're at something, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And I just, I wish I could come up with a really decent lie of mm. some boring job, you know, like podcaster or something. Yeah, um, yeah that is the worst of the worst. It is the worst job. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, no, but, yeah, I try and avoid the question, I think. And But if they do press me and say, I, I say, I do, I've done a corporate entertainment. Mm -hmm. I'm a psychological mind reader, which means I combine psychology, body language, statistics to make it look a lot like I can read your mind. Because to be honest, when you can use those skills, you pretty much can. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they go, ah, oh, do me, do me. Yeah. And um, I resist all of the jokes mm -hmm. that I've saved up from the 90s mm -hmm. about doing me. And then I... Um, and then I just, then I just say, oh, do you know what? It's it's not not the right conditions. And I've got a really good get out clause, which is mm. actually the thing is I perform after 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 dinner, which means I actually rely on the um, on the psychology and the pressure that a crowd mm. um, that a crowd creates because, and then I sort of turn it into sort of something interesting, which I say, look, what's as you can imagine, when I stand stand somebody up in the middle of a room full of people and everyone's looking at you, you obviously feel very very different. And honestly, I just sort of rely on that. And they sort of feel like they've learned something. So they haven't just been pushed to one side. They feel like they've learned something from that. Oh, that's interesting. You can like, I we do feel like that differently, don't we? That's interesting. And they go, oh, that's cool. And then like, there's, there's no way I can perform because unless they go, don't worry, there's 400 of my friends in the next carriage. Mm. Then in that, you know, in that case, you don't, you don't have a problem. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I'm interested. So kind of, I mean, you kind of touched on that little brief summary of, of mentorism just before, but for you, I guess, I mean, I don't know if this is quite a broad question or a bad question, but probably both, but what is mentalism to you from your point of view? Yeah, for me, it has to be something that you could possibly achieve with your mind, given the given the um, the cult, the acceptance that that culture has right. of what's possible with the mind. What I, the reason I say that as an extension to it is because I think a number of years ago it was conceivable within the cultures of, of many cultures that you there was some doubt that you could bend metal mm. or move objects with your mind mm. i think the world most parts of the world most parts of the world that i perform in mm. won't really accept that as a real mental ability mm. so i would never include something that includes any kind of psychokinesis bending right. objects controlling objects with my mind whereas if it's a genuine mental capability memory, influence, mm. uh, stat uh, uh, memorizing st statistics and using, using statistics against people or with people, um, body language, reading people. So if it's like a, a, what could be seen as a learned skill mm -hmm. um, or a skill that could be learned and you just happen to be very good at it because of a natural gift or something like that, I would consider that. But controversially, and I've talked about this a lot to some very big uh, mentalists who I should know better than to argue with um, that. I don't think psychokinesis and metal bending is, I don't think it's mentalism anymore. I think it's a magic trick. And the, especially the way that a lot of people do it because metal, bend, like fork bending is essentially the, uh, the mentalist version of balloon dogs, isn't mm. it? And now it's bent and now it's twisted. And now it looks like a frog. Who cares? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Everybody's going to end on that explosion of sound. <laughs> That's the end of mentalism. All right. Fine. Yeah, we can go on to the next question. <laughs> uh, I'm interested then. I don't want to be that guy at the party that's saying, do me, do me. Um, but tell me, kind of, you talk about kind of statistics and, and that sort of thing. Can you give me an example of something that you would use in a routine or just an example of something that you think allows people to be readable? Or can you can you give any examples of the things that you've talked about? Not, not even like a real example, just like, I don't know, a line of... Uh... I mean, I can tell you, like, basically my open, the opening of my show starts off with the lines... Uh, my opening line is 12% of you are thinking about moving home. 93% of you have got a scar on one of your knees and 9% of you are currently cheating on your partner. Um, that, so that's the opening line of, um, of my show. And then, it, then I'll relieve it with a joke I say, which means there's some of you having a lot more fun than everybody else is mm. having. Um, so, so basically I say, the framing of the whole show from, from walking out, I guess, is that, oh, he like sort of knows some stuff about us. Mm. And that's kind of... Uh, I don't want to be like the all seeing mentalist. It's just that I'm a bit of a nerd who sort of just gets people and understands mm. stuff about humans and, and human nature, I guess. Well, that's, yeah, that's weird though. Cause I actually do have a scar on my knee and Jacob's thinking about moving. So I don't know what position that leaves you in. Oh, Ken, yeah. But <laughs> just, yeah, uh... yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I um... am cheating. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> on both of you girls. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Um, honestly, I kind of I know we. I feel like maybe we should ask you just another couple of magic questions, just just for the proprietary. Um, you, there's a actually no, I'm not even going to ask you another magic question. I really want to talk about marketing with you because I know that is a big sort of I guess USP or unique positioning, and um, I want to know at what point you realized like if you wanted to, 
I don't know, stand out from the crowd, you had to suddenly start, start on taking skills that most people didn't go into. I interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to our website, thedailymagician.com. If you haven't already signed up for our daily emails that will give you great content, just like this podcast, please head over there and sign up now. That's thedailymagician.com. We promise that we won't disappoint you. Mm. So I realized there was, there's, a, there's a motivational speaker called Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins. Yeah. And I, I heard one of his things talking about the only way he was going to get any better and become a really good speaker was he realized that there was a, another speaker called Bob somebody, um, Bob Proctor. And he said Bob Proctor became a really great speaker because he spoke Every week, every single week, Bob Proctor was on stage doing doing a gig, presenting and talking. And I thought, well, if he's on stage once a week speaking, if I'm on stage seven times a week, I'm going to get to that good seven times faster. Mm-hmm. So I thought, that's really interesting. So the only way to get less rubbish at this is to do it more. So I found any excuse. I would uh, go and do like... I would go and I'd do things that I just really don't believe in, such as I would like enter magic competitions mm-hmm. just to do stage time. And I think it's incredible that we have competitions in magic because it's not a sport. What's that about? Anyway, it's an art. How, how can that even be a thing? Um, so, but anyway, I would, I would, I would enter those things just to get stage time. I would literally do anything in order to, to just get stage time. Mm-hmm. And that meant that I started researching, how do I get more gigs? How do I get on stage more often? Mm-hmm. And so I started looking up marketing stuff and I realized that a lot of the standard marketing networks for like regular businesses, like if you've got like a florist or Mm. you're a chiropractor or something, a lot of that stuff just doesn't quite work for us because we don't really have clients. We have the gig that's on its way coming up and we have the gig that we're on stage on and then we have the the gig that was and that's it. We don't really have clients. So a lot of the ways that we market ourselves had to be different and I had to adapt a lot of stuff, but I realized it's the only way. And what I then also realized is that it's the same skills. So basically the effect we're trying to create is a calendar full of the types of gigs that we want at the rate that we want. And Mm. all we've got to do is come up with the method. It's the same skills. It's creativity. It's coordination. It's all of these things. It's the same skills we use in magic and mentalism are used to get the gigs that we want to get. It's just about saying, actually, I'm going to just transpose those same skills. And a lot of us really don't like talking about money, talking about how do we create a business, all this stuff. Because as Michael Gerber says in his book, The E-Myth, which if you haven't read that, it's a really good book. The E in E-Myth stands for entrepreneurial myth. It's not like email. It's, It's entrepreneurial myth. And what he talks about in there is, a lot of us get into whatever we do mm, in business because we are the technician. We want to do the thing. We want to do magic or we, we want to do mentalism or we want to be a juggler or whatever the heck we want to do. And we suddenly wake up one day and realize that if we've got a business, we also have to be the finance person, we have to be the marketing person, mm. we have to be the sales person, we have to do all this stuff that we really didn't sign up for. All we want to do is do our tricks mm. and uh, get some applause and you know maybe get the attention of someone who might want to touch us. So... Um, so what we what, what what we can do though is we can transfer the skills because one of the things none of not many of us want to do is to be marketing people or to be 
salespeople or anything like that. What, what we really want to do is just do our magic or do our mentalism. So what if we could just take the same skills that we're using to do those performances, create routines and all that sort of stuff. What if we could use those same skills to actually get booked as well? Because hmm. it is the same skills. It's it's highlighting one thing and not really talking about another thing. So it's, it's misdirection. It, so there's, there's a lot of things that we take for granted that we naturally find not that difficult. We problem solve all the time. How many of us love shows like Jonathan Creek and Hustle and stuff like that? Because it has that magic feel to it. Well, actually marketing and sales, the same is the same exact thing. And how long did it take you from discovering that for yourself to teaching that to other people? It's a good question. Uh, I don't really know because what happened was, you know what, you know what other performers are like. They'll like set up a fake Gmail account and they'll send you an inquiry for a gig, won't they? Because you know we've all done that. And uh, and what would what happened one day is I can't even think, can't even think of who it was. But about 10 years ago or something, somebody emailed me and said, look, I know you're really, like, really heavily booked. At the time, I was doing like four or five gigs a week. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that now but because um, I just get exhausted. I think mm -hmm. I'm getting old. But four, four or five gigs a week at the time. And, I, and they knew how much I was charging, which was significantly more than most people sort of most magicians and stuff and i said how are you doing both those things and i said well it's just marketing like i'm just just doing it like i just do this and then they do this and then that then this happens and they said oh will you, will you coach me on how to do it and i was like what are you talking about like i'm not a business coach like i'm just a guy doing tricks mm -hmm. you know uh, spoiler alert so um i eventually sort of said yeah okay um he said right well, how much is it and i said don't know how much you think it should be and he told me i went great that's fine so i was just flattered and then i helped this guy out do that and then helped him write a show that would fit the market and that was great and actually we've become um i know who it was now it just clicked in my head exactly who it was a guy called adam and we've become really really good friends and we still speak today um and funny, weirdly i was speaking to him this morning how weird anyway um so that's how it began and then some and a few more people get, got in touch and said can you help me can you help me can you help me and then i came up with a little i thought i can just help people at scale so mm -hmm. i came up with this little program it was 69 pounds and basically the idea was that you pay 69 pounds and every day for 28 days or something i sent you an email with a little tip mm. to build uh, to build your marketing plan as a performer over 28 days. So we just, rather than being overwhelmed by, here's all the stuff you do, I was like, day one, think about the answer to this question, write it down, tomorrow I'll tell you what to do with it. And that worked out really well. It was called gig flow and it worked out really, really well. Mm. Um, a few hundred performers went through that process, but then at the end of it, more performers came, came out and went, great, now what? And I was like, mm. no, no, that's it. That's, that, that's all you need to do, carry on. And they were like, no, 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 I need like more. And how do I, you know, what's this, what's this Facebook thing that's coming out? and Will it replace my MySpace account? All those important questions. Uh, and what about Bebo? What even happened? Um, um, so and how do I get gigs off Tinder? You know, um, important, yeah. important questions. Yeah, very important. Very important questions. So, they, we, so basically I created this thing called Entrepreneur Performers in a Circle. Mm -hmm. The only reason it's called that, by the way, it's not because, I mean, it's a bit, a bit over a grand, self-aggrandizing. It's just because I wanted it to spell the word epic, which is mm -hmm. obviously massively self-aggrandizing. <laughs> anyway, um, so tongue-in-cheek, obviously. It's epic! Um, yes, so I put that together, which is a monthly membership, where each month you get, like, training and all this awesome stuff. 
So that's kind of the journey of helping other entertainers. And for me, it's always been a thing. It's a pure, it's a, just a, such a passion project of mine because so many entertainers are not being paid how much they should be paid. And they're also not keeping a hold of as much money as they mm. should be because their their cash flow is usually the biggest problem, not actually how much they're earning. It's usually mm. to do with cash flow. And the other bit is they they have inconsistency in their work. So they have like crazy December holiday parties, holiday parties. And then it comes to January and then they're sitting around going, oh, I can't afford anything. I can't even buy that new that new download from Vanishing Ink. Life's a crime, mm. you know. Mm. Uh, whereas I thought, well, I don't really have so much of that. I have quite a steady um, income stream, uh, the way I'd figured it out. So I started teaching all of that stuff. And that's kind of what, and what's really, the reason I created it really, and the reason I created that model was it was something to do when I was traveling on the train or the plane between these gigs. <laughs> Obviously, my show's 40 minutes. Long, my longest show's 40 minutes. Like, I don't, no, that's not true. I do have a 60 minute show, but mm. usually it's 40 minutes. And I would travel for like a day to get mm. to Southampton. That's how long it takes. Uh, and I'm like sitting on the train going, I'm going to get there and then I'm going to hang around, do a sound check. And then I'm going to hang around my room and then I'm going to go on stage for 40 minutes. Then I'm going to go back to my room, sleep, travel all the way home tomorrow. How can I leverage this time? How can I do something in this mm. time? So that's, that's what I do during that time. And that's... So obviously, this, we didn't uh, ask you this so that we could start pitching people on it. But is there a link people can go to if they think this sounds awesome? Um, yeah, I don't really know where because it's not really a handy URL. Mm. I reckon if you go to mentalunderground.com, there's probably a link on that page. I reckon. How professional a marketing person am I? Yeah. Not even more well, represent people. I will come to your rescue because I think we can. Yeah, we we are link. If you yeah. go to mentalunderground.com/slash/epic/slash/request/invitation. There's a dash between the request and invitation, and uh, you, you can go. find out more about that. So, Thanks. nice. Um, I wanted to ask. You talked a minute ago about the overlap between marketing and magic, and the same skills you use to I don't know, solve magic problems. You can use solving marketing problems. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about another potential overlap that we often like to talk about um, between marketing and magic, which is in the actual presentation, right? So, so we write a, a lot of emails, and I'm, I've heard you're an email guy as well. So I'm sure you're handy with the whole kind of ADA structure, even if you don't, maybe mm-hmm. you're at the point where you don't even need it anymore. Mm-hmm. But this idea of the way you construct an email, I, I think is very similar to the way you perform, where you, you want to capture in, uh, attention, and attention, the interest, and interest the yeah. desire and the action. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing obviously for you, you already had those kind of performance skills, but how, how much of a cognitive um, impact did it make when you learned these, these email marketing techniques and whether they played into the way you pre- perform and present? Yeah, I guess I get this sort of, this sort of do. I mean, the way that I think about a show, I think the thing I struggled with and I worried about more than anything mm. when performing is losing the attention of the people at the back. Because mm. most of my events, just to paint the pictures, I know we all sort of do different types of events, is I'm in a large banqueting room for some kind of awards dinner right. or, or that kind of thing where they're all around circular tables. Mm. So even if there's only like 500 people in the room, it's quite a deep, wide room, which means the back two corners are really danger areas. If you, because what happens is, if they, if you lose their attention or they decide to create their own party, mm. they'll start chatting, which means the people in front of them can't hear, which means they start chatting and the wave travels mm. forward. Before you know it, you are shouting over the audience. And I've, I've, you know, um, waded through those horrendous gigs time and time again. 
And so getting attention is really important. And, and a couple of tricks that I used to do that, and I don't mean literally like mm. card tricks and stuff, I mean like little methodologies. <laughs> the first one is that the first routine that I do when I walk on stage has only me on stage, nobody else, because I want to, sub, and this is subconsciously and subtly, set up that this is my domain, this is where I belong, this is my space. So later, when I invite you up here, I'm in control, I own this space, mm-hmm. you don't. So when you're up here, you know, it's everything's going to be fine. The other thing I want to do is establish some kind of authority in the in a sli- in that I do my sort of harshest, most authority-driven jokes and material at the beginning of the show because I want the audience to relax and realize no matter what happens, this guy is going to deal with it and we're going to have a great time. We don't need to provide the comedy from the audience. We don't need to provide the entertainment from the audience because he's going to do that. I can We can see that because he's doing it right now. So they don't need to feel like they need to fill in the gaps or do the, you know, come on, when does the comedy start? Or any of that classic heckly loveliness because hopefully it's it's already happening. The next thing, so then the other thing I do is the people I involve, because obviously in mentalism you have to involve somebody in, in each routine, otherwise right. it's just a man reading his own mind. Yeah, it's very strange. Different, anyway. It's very yeah, <laughs> avant-garde. Um, so the, uh, so what, what I do is I use, the first routine I do is I, I have people standing, come towards the stage, but just stand at the bottom of it. What I used to do before that is I used to involve people in the back corners. Mm. The problem with doing that, as I discovered, well, I think I discovered, is I still didn't grab people's attention. And the reason for that, I think, is because you've now split the attention. So people in the room in the middle are sort of turning around to look at you and turning around to look at the people at the back and then you and then back. Right. There's no control of attention. Whereas if everything's happening at the front of the room, I'm on stage standing there in a suit and there are three people at the front of the stage on the floor um, standing there looking up, the attention's being controlled forward, which means there's no distraction. There's no way for them mm-hmm. to lose their attention. So uh, that's the, that's one of the first things that I definitely do. And then what I do in the second routine is I generally is I'll get off the stage and involve the two, some people at the two back tables. Mm. So now they realize that I can see you and you are not immune to anything that's going to mm. happen during this. So I do a lot of that setting up at the beginning so that I can just chill out a bit more mm. to, towards the middle and the end of the show. I briefly pause this podcast to give a shout out to the Daily Magician Tapes Collection. This is a growing collection of exclusive audio training and interviews with some of the world's best, including the magician that you're listening to right now. If you'd like to find out more about The Daily Magician Tapes, head over to thedailymagician.com slash tapes. That's thedailymagician.com slash tapes. We'll see you there. That's really interesting. Uh, I never like thought about that. Obviously, I guess that it's like a setting thing, but I guess in general, right, with any audience, you don't want the people at the back getting distracted because... Yeah, that's interesting. I guess it's another like weird psychology thing, right? Where it's like sheep kind of mentality of like if like enough people are doing it, the others will join in. So anyway, yeah, thanks. That's interesting. I'm interested. So how does that apply then to an email? Okay, so you're like, okay, you've got this concept of like people at the back, not wanting them to get distracted. Obviously, we know with emails, like the open rate is usually like definitely there's a lot more people than people at the back that aren't <laughs> opening it. How yeah. do you kind of apply that to to emails and just like business strategy? 
Yeah, yeah. So full disclosure is I could talk about this for literally days because I, <laughs> one of my other businesses I started fairly recently, about a year ago, was teaching email marketing and mm. it's psychology-driven email marketing. So I could talk about this for absolutely days. So, um, But let's just think about which bit to pluck out. I mean, the thing we've got to do is we do have to get people's attention and the easiest and best way to get people's attention is by making what you say emotionally charged, mm. which means they have to care. And the only thing you can really, you can really get emotionally engaged with is not here's a list of six things that are brilliant about booking me, <laughs> or here's three things you should consider when hiring an entertainer, any of that stuff. The only thing that you can really emotionally engage with, and it's the easiest thing to write as well, which means like it's a double Brucey bonus, is that is a story. Mm. And the emails that I write, I write an email every single day. And we, one of the things we teach with my email marketing heroes brand is we teach this thing called the daily email strategy. Mm -hmm. And it's about how do you show up by email every single day? And I'm talking five days a week to my entertainers market, uh, on entertainers list, um, with our email marketing heroes list. We do that seven days a week. Mm -hmm. How do you turn up every single day with a story and give people value so that they've got a reason to open their emails. The reason people's email open rate is terrible and we accept 20%, 10%, 5%, 40%, whatever. The reason we accept those numbers is because we don't know there's any better way. The truth is, most people won't open your emails if there's not a good reason for them to open your emails. If the only thing you ever send them is, hey, can I have this thing off you? Like your money, your time, your retention, your whatever your credibility, whatever you're asking people for, then that's never going to work because the only reason to open your emails at that point is when they think they might want to give you something or they just want, they're curious about what you're selling next. Whereas if you turn up and actually give value in the email, regardless of what you're offering, regardless of, hey, I've got a brand new show coming out or, hey, it's time to book for that, for, for this particular season, if there's a reason in the email in and of itself to open mm. it, then they will. So if every time I email you, which I email every you know, five days a week, Monday to Friday, I email a story about something that's happened and then I talk about what's the moral of that story that we can all learn a business lesson from. And then then I tell you about entrepreneur performers in a circle or, or, or whatever it is that I'm, you know, my, my annual event or whatever it might be. But you, you're going to open those emails because even if you never want to join Epic, even if you never want to, the reason you will is because you're going to get two pieces of value out of that email. You're going to get the story, which will make you feel something. I mean, you go, oh, that's nice. That's cool. There's value in entertainment. Obviously, that's why Netflix is worth so much money. And there is value in the lesson you draw from that story. So um, I can't even think about what today's email was about. My brain's gone completely um, blank. But um, whatever, whatever that daily that email. And the other the other day, I told a story about the. Uh, I was I used to live in a first floor apartment, mm. and my dad sat in on the windowsill and then he fell backwards out of the window because he didn't realize that the mm. window was open. And I talked about some, and then and so that was the story. Nothing to do with business for entertainers but then i transitioned into how that is a lesson for all of us about sometimes the thing that are keeping us up are invisible mm. like the window behind my dad sometimes the things that are keeping us going are invisible but when they disappear will we even realize they're gone mm. huh so now there's two pieces of value in that email and they're thought provoking and i get i get replies to my emails every single day and i even get i, I was one day i didn't send an email mm. um 
on between Monday and Friday. It's because I was flying back from lecturing at Mindvention in Las Vegas, and because of the time zones and because of a a delay from the airline, who I won't mention, it was British Airways. Um, then I um that I couldn't send the email, so I had I don't know twenty or thirty people email me saying, "Is everything okay? Are you all right? What's happening? I, I haven't got your email. What's happening? Can I get your email? Have you taken me off your list? What's happening? Are you okay?" <laughs> Because people genuinely love the emails. So that's kind of what you want. Imagine if people genuinely loved receiving your email marketing. And that means the problem with most email marketing is this. Email marketing has traditionally just been self-serving for us as a business. We've only emailed when we want something. Mm -hmm. Whereas what if instead it was a thing that actually served your subscriber first so that at the moment they're ready to buy or book you, then you're there at the top of their inbox. Yeah, it, yeah. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot to unpack in there. Yeah. So t tell me, Jix, if you had to interject, but I definitely think already straight out the gate, um, what what you're doing is, see, we we also talk to magicians a lot about uh, emails and email lists and, and that kind of thing. And, and one common objection we get is, oh, I don't want to spam people. You know, it's just every now and then I send them some news, a little update. You know, I don't want to be a annoyance, right? Um, but have you read their emails? Well, I'm not on the list. So I guess that that's maybe terrible. Like I was on the list of, I was on the email list of probably five different magicians for a while. Like I honestly, I had to just get out because I was going to like, you know, throw my computer through a window or something. But um, because the, the emails they send are self-serving. Here's what Timmy, the magician has been doing this month. Well, do you know what? I can tell you in one sentence how much I care about that. I don't care. I don't care you've been in the Caribbean on that cruise ship. I don't care that you've 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 got this new trick in your show or you've got this new studio or this new I don't care. Because one of the other standard things about marketing is that, and this is a classic, really old thing, which is your audience doesn't care about you. They only care about one thing, and that is what's in it for them. So if you're not making it about them, then of course your emails suck. Like, like everything, 99% of everything sucks. 99% of emails suck, 99% of mentalists suck, 99% of magicians suck, 99% of singers suck, which is why there's only a few successful. So yeah, if you're going to email people, there's a really good reason not to email every day. And that's if your emails are terrible. And if your emails are not giving value to your audience, to the, to the subscribers, then please don't email them every day because that's horrendous, right? Whereas, whereas if you like, if you show up with stuff they actually care about, then they won't, it won't be spam because it's valuable. Bear in mind that I charge £69 for a program which sent you an email with value in every day, and I sold a few hundred of them. People paid for that. Now I do that every single day for free because there's value in them. So if you're just sending an email newsletter, which is like, here's a photo of me and my dog because I'm stuck at home doing gigs, I don't care. Really don't care. Your booker doesn't care. Your potential booker doesn't care. Your competition. Who's getting value from that? Absolutely no one's getting value from that. Nobody. It's, uh, it's easy to talk in terms of value, I think, because, well, let me, let me rephrase that. So we run an email list, but we market to magicians. In which case, yeah. there's a clear kind of commonality where we can think, what's a valuable lesson? Um, and uh, we actually, it's funny, you talk about 
because we, we have like a spreadsheet where i don't know we generate like a random number that gives us the topic a random number for the product and then we're trying like link to up it's just kind of like a fun game yeah but it's easy to put a lesson in there because everyone's a magician on our list when you're doing these daily emails and it sounds like you've done this before from the examples you're given when you're doing it to like a, a client list they're all in different businesses they all have different obviously they're all humans so they all have similar psychology but they all have different specific needs and uh, problems and and how do you make sure you're addressing all of them in your lessons without being too kind of bland, but also compelling at the same time? Right, right. Yeah, totally. What you've got to remember is they they are three-dimensional human beings who don't just book entertainers for events. They do other stuff. And also, you're a perceived expert in a bunch of things. So what we have to do is we have to look after the emotional needs of this audience. So what is it they need and what do they perceive you to be a person who can actually give advice on. So, and for you, that might be misdirection. It might be motivation. It might be presentation skills. It might be problem solving, creativity. Like there's so many things you could be seen, not necessarily be, but be seen as a person who has some advice to give on something. Not necessarily an expert. I, I, I hasten to use that word expert because I think that's, that's got an aloofness to it and I think that has a status to it. And I'm not really a fan of that. I think, but what could you really have offer some advice on? And that means you can show up each day with a story about something, which then teaches that piece of advice, gives that hint, gives that inspiration. There's, there's lots of different types of value. In fact, and when we teach that daily email things, daily email strategy, we talk about nine different types of value you can have. Most people think that the only type of value is a lesson. That's just one type of value. Another type of value that we that we can give, for example, is permission. One of the biggest things that coaches and the coaching world is like one of the biggest industries and most profitable industries in the world, but coaching people. One of the biggest things coaches do is just give people permission to do the thing they already know they should be doing. Oh, you should be spending 20 minutes a day working on your on your on your on your mnemonic or you should be doing this you should be like giving people permission is another type of value you can give to people so i think it's i think we overcomplicate it and i think the way that i write my emails is simply this i think about i've got a bunch of ways of generating stories one of them i'll give you i'll give you i'll give you a couple one of them is i think about what's the least boring thing that's happened in the last 24 hours it doesn't have to be the most exciting thing because then you put standards up, but what's the least boring thing? So in the last 24 hours, what happened? Um, I was on a really important call this morning and my cat meowed full belt into the microphone, uh, which was great fun. What else happened? We played one of those one of those um, locked room mystery escape room things that you can order off Amazon through the post. And uh, we played that last night. Uh, that was good fun. So just innocuous stories. And so you write the story first. And I don't even think about what the lesson from that story is going to be. Just write the story. And my entire email, on average, I did a word count fairly recently, are about 175 words. So they're super short. So tell the story. Then I think, as I'm writing, I'm thinking, okay, what's the lesson for my audience that the audience needs to hear? So if I'm when I'm doing this for my audience of people who might potentially book me, I'm going to be thinking about the lessons from the story from that. So there are other ways of engaging your audiences. So one of the things that I help, I, I position myself to be a, a person who can offer advice on is how to make your meetings more engaging. So your Zoom meetings are probably boring and people are checking their Facebook and their phones and stuff during, their, during your Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. So I can offer some advice on how to make them less 
less disengage, less people disengage. So, so I can transition to that story and then say, by the way, when the time's right, this is something I really help you with on, on, on these kinds of shows mm-hmm. or whatever. If you're doing Zoom shows, you can offer your Zoom show there. Or if you're not, you can, you know, just be nurturing the relationship between now and then. Yeah, I think the storytelling thing should not be, and all the magicians listen to this, like, this is not just email. This is like, I hate to say it in like a mentalist, oh, I know human psychology, but this is human psychology. People love stories. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the literal neuroscience around 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 storytelling, um, I'm obsessed with studying this stuff. Literally, stories take up physically more space in people's minds, and they light up so many parts of people's mm-hmm. brains from a neuropatterning perspective. So stories are really, really fascinating. And one of the things we should all be doing as magicians, mentalists, is we tell stories in our shows anyway. But yet so few of us actually study really good storytelling. Mm. Like, you should be reading books like Storyworthy. Thank you. It's a flipping great book. Yeah. 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 Totally. We're on the same page there. Um, There's a... The interesting thing about stories, like you say, is that they don't have to be... You don't have to start with the end in mind, um, or you don't have to have the lesson sort of naturally woven in. There's a guy, there's a copywriter, um, uh, Jim Rutz, I think, who used to write for for Boardroom and I guess other big publishers, maybe maybe Agora, I'm not sure. And he would write these incredible packages, and it was just this great storytelling. He had this way of just drawing people in, and and, and they would just read. And then I guess when people were reviewing reviewing the copy before they send it out and the sales up, they're like, well, where's the, uh, you know, this might not be how it quite went down, but I get this feeling where it's like, well, where's Where's the promotion? He's like, oh, tell me what the details are. I'll put it on the bottom somewhere. And it's this thing where people are just reading along and that they're so engaged in the yeah. story that it's like, oh, I guess I might as well do that as well because they've just been, I don't know. Yeah, there is, doesn't have to be this clear um, continuity. Just tell good stories, I guess, is the bottom line, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I love what you said about offering um, just something every email. It's something actually that Benji and we've been drilling a lot. We do this thing where we just, well, recently we've been doing this thing where we just sit down we give ourselves 10 minutes. Like I said, we roll the dice, we pick a subject, we pick a promotion, and then we just write an email in 10 minutes. Um, Cause it's actually something that um, Ben Settle, he's kind of like a really popular guy for as, as far as kind of daily emails go. And we're really big fans of him. Um, and anyway, so we've been doing that recently. And I, I like what you say is like everything, there has to be a reason beyond what you're linking them to for them to click on your email. Right. Um, and uh, And I think that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of what you were talking about with magic as well. If we're going to like make some like <laughs> link here, as far as like there needs to be some reason for people to show up beyond I'm really good with cards and beyond oh I'm going to do some fancy mind trick, you know. Uh, mm. And and I think kind of what you're saying about how you introduce your show is a really good example of that and an example of Ada uh, in in kind of as far as copywriting goes, but also in magic as far as. People have been, get, you get on stage and I'm thinking about it already. You know, you, what you said about the, was it 9% of people are cheating? And then like 90% of people have like, what a, a scar on their knee. You know, that's going to stick in my mind probably forever, you know? And mm-hmm. I've already been given something that I can go home with as soon as your show starts. So I think that's a, that's a, a really interesting point that you brought up, Ken. And I'm glad that you've said it as well. I'm glad that we're not alone because we, we send daily emails <laughs> uh, and we try and, we try and, and apply the techniques that you're talking about. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Where did that come from? So I'm interested, like, was there some sort of mental that flipped that switch for you? Or was it just kind of like a something that you kind of self-taught? What, sending an email every day? Yeah, and just your whole approach to just kind of like attaching value and all of that. 
I think it's because I think about email marketing a lot because it's the thing that has built my entertainment business. It's right. the way that I hate getting on the phone. I hate selling. I hate all of that stuff. And so I realized that if I come up with really good email marketing, that will that will do it for me. So I have really good email campaigns. I have really good uh, these these daily newsletter things, these emails that go out means that they do it all for me so that people end up asking me to buy rather than me having to chase them. Right. Going, please buy, please. Oh no. And the good thing about if you're a person who magnetically attracts a client is you can get higher fees if rather than when you're chasing, if you're chasing, then you, you've got a sort of, you're the person who like is on the back foot and has to negotiate your price down. Right. Whereas if they're asking you for your price, then guess what? You've got the upper hand, which means you can, you can, you can charge your fee without having to negotiate so much. Yeah, I guess partly as well, is it uh, like an awareness thing? You know, so when you send out the email, it's not necessarily, oh, they're going to click the link and book you. But if you're sending a daily email, when it comes time to put on that event, who is the per first person that's going to come into their head? I think it's Well, remember that. I mean, back in the day that they said it took seven, I can't remember who, which company it was now, but they said it was seven, I think it was P&G, I think. I think it was Potter and Gamble who said that it was seven touch points before someone would buy from you. Yeah. These days, because of how noisy the world is and because we've all got ADHD, we need at least 12 touch points. Well, we did a test and that, well, it's sort of an experimental type thing, which was we, we took somebody from joining our email list to becoming a customer in nine days. Mm -hmm. If I only emailed once a week, that could have taken nine weeks. Mm. If I emailed once a month, that would have been potentially nine months, whereas we did it in nine days. And this, is, this goes back to cash flow, and this is why it's really important. The reason most businesses, whether it's an entertainment business or you've got a side hustle or another job or whatever it is you're doing, the reason most businesses really get disenfranchised with marketing is because they can't make a return, they can't make the money back, Mm -hmm. from the marketing investment fast enough mm -hmm. without running out of cash. Mm -hmm. You might run a Facebook ad for your show, but you might spend, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 pounds on ads that month. And then the, but if you can't make that money back for another two months, well, you've had to pay Facebook for the ad and now you've had another two. So you're now 15 grand in the hole, hoping that you might get a gig out of it. Whereas if I can spend a thousand pounds today and make it back tomorrow before my Facebook ad bill even goes out, then I'm cash flow positive. So we have to focus on being cash flow positive, not just making money. And we also have to be profitable and not just making bookings. Right. All right. So and, and of course that then puts you in the a very strong position in sorry Jacob, where you you've already made yeah, the cash back the now, anything past that is a bonus. Yeah, and it's the other reason I get paid 100% upfront for all gigs, and I have done for the last 15 years. I get 100% up. I get paid 100% upfront because I want to be cash flow positive. Mm. I don't want to be cash flowing and taking the risk of a few hundred or a few thousand pounds to get to a gig for um, Yahoo when they're a multi-billion-dollar business. They can pay me upfront, and I can spend their money to get to their gig. Right. I think, I, yeah, I was going to talk about, I, I like this idea of kind of like uh, ROI that you're talking about as well. Um, as far as, that's actually something that we've been putting in. We've been doing a lot of work to track with our Facebook ads recently. Um, yeah. And I think it's an important thing as well to remember is, because it's hard. I, I like how you've taken this angle, right? Of, because sometimes as artists, uh, we can get kind of trapped in where we like don't see the ROI or rather we're like blind to it. 
and by yeah. our i mean return on investment for everyone listening um mm -hmm. as far as uh, because we're so ready to create and it's all about this like experience that people have we can lose sight of again like you're saying like <laughs> are they paying me up front you know like <laughs> it's actually yeah. going to be also, worth like, my time <laughs> ignorance can be convenient for people where you can't optimize what you don't know right and so if they don't know they don't have to face the facts that they're losing money on this kind of thing you know it's like and i think i think a lot of people romanticize the idea of the starving artist mm. right. and they feel like if they're not a starving artist then they're actually they've sold out why is that a belief system we've we perpetuated i don't know <laughs> um but uh, you know in order to be a true artist we have to be like, living on the bread line and like oh he was such a great performer and he, and he lived in under a bridge. Oh my god, he's so much he better because he lived under a bridge after he died. That's everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas book, uh, the thing uh, is, became a bestseller the minute he died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best-selling book lived under a bridge. You know, it's it's romantic. So, but the thing is, in terms of like, so the most of the people that we help in our email marketing business, in terms of because it's it's not like we don't do email marketing for people. We teach email marketing. Mm -hmm. Is we talk about. Because again, they're passion led, like they, they've started some kind of business, they're training people or they're teaching something or they're, they they make something or something mm. like that. And they again feel like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to like be, be, be salesy. And I'm like, and I get that, I understand that. But here's the question is, you know, is what you do really good? And do you really want to help these people? So remember, as an entertainer, we are helping people because they need to fill that slot at their event. They need some entertainment for that thing. They need the thing, the value that you bring. They need you to bring people on their trade show stands. Like you're filling up. One of the things I think a lot of performers don't do is they don't figure out the, what their actual value is. Mm. So we, we need to do a lot of work on that. But the other thing we need to think about is if you don't have a successful business out of this, if you don't make a profit, and therefore you can save some of that profit to one side. And if you're not charging good fees and you don't do it regularly and you're not marketing regularly to keep that coming in, then it's not going to be long until you can no longer share your art form. Because unlike most art forms, magic and mentalism do not exist until it's performed. Because as soon as we know the, the trick, we know the method, and it doesn't exist anymore. So until it's performed, it does not exist. Mm. So we have to keep performing it. The only way to keep performing it is to make sure it's financially supported. And here's what's awesome as well. When people pay more for things, mm. they like them more. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they use them more, right? <laughs> well, look at, look at, the, yeah, they do. And it's also a curiosity as well, right? Like, I heard one guy talk about, I think maybe it was Ben Settle again, a $50 tequila shot. Or maybe it's from, um, I don't know if you're a fan of, uh, what's it called? Better Call Saul. There's this, there's this uh, I think it's like a tequila and it's, I don't know, it's $50. And they literally, they're like, we have to try it. Like what makes it worth? I don't know. It's this like curiosity. And obviously you've well, got to deliver whole, on that. The but... whole diamonds industry, mm -hmm. like the whole thing, if you look at the, re like how, what the diamond industry is, diamonds are expensive. Why are they rare? No. But what the whole, di I can't remember the name of the people who own the diamond industry or who sort of, who are in charge of it all, but they limit the supply, the availability right. of diamonds in order to drive the price up. So it's got nothing to do with how rare it is. Like magicians, they're 10 a penny. Well, one, they're not. But two, you're not 10 a penny. Your availability is, is, is limited. And also, are you willing just to go, nah, no thanks. Like there's a price, we have to have a walk away price. We have to have a, pr a price at which we go, nah, I'm, I'm all right, cheers. And 
one of my aims is to get my walkaway price to be higher. You know, because I actually want to just spend more time at home here and do less gigs, but for more money so that I can continue. And I know I don't want to charge more money out of greed. I want to charge more money so I can have more time at home, yet still be able to do gigs and still be able to supply that entertainment. So it's just economics. Mm. And do you, uh, I know we asked you about the uh, entrepreneur um, performer in a circle epic before. This is a, a separate thing, your email marketing thing. Do you have a link people can go to for that? Uh, like, I don't know if somebody is already in the inner circle entrepreneur performers. I said that backwards. Would they also be find value in, in the email stuff? Do they overlap? Because I'm sure we. Yeah, I mean, they, they uh, are they are different. Go. They're very very different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, for for the email marketing stuff, if you go to emailmarketingheroes.com, mm-hmm. that's where like our blog and podcast is and then if you want to know about the membership that's called the league of email marketing heroes and basically it's emailmarketingheroes.com slash league mm-hmm. well we'll check that out because it's how long have you been doing this uh the league is now this is month this is the 12th month so mm-hmm. it's only just over a year mm-hmm. yeah well we're definitely interested in that it sounds like a, we have a lot to learn from you um before yeah. we end we'd like to kind of wrap things up with a a question we ask a lot of our guests. One of the things we talked about earlier is uh, problem solving. You talked about how magicians kind of predispose us to be good at solving problems. What for you, and I guess maybe this isn't the case because you also you do other stuff. You don't just do magic. But what makes magic worth the effort of solving problems, if you get what I mean, rather than taking that same problem solving skill to something else? And again, maybe that's redundant because you already have, but if you have any insights on that, we'd love to hear. So... So the question is, what makes magic worth the problem solving? Yeah, yeah like worth the, the time, basically. The, <laughs> the opportunity cost, you know, you're, you're using this mental agility, which is quite impressive, you know, to, to be solving these problems. But why, you know, why these problems? Like, why magic rather than anything else? Um, yeah, I really don't know, because if we, we're really good at all these things and we decide to put it into being entertainers rather than fixing big problems, don't we? Why is it? I don't really know the answer to that question. Um, I, 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 th- I guess. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't have an answer. Yeah, I don't. Why, why use these problem solving skills for magic? Yeah. Um, don't know. All right. <laughs> well, honestly, Kendine, we I'll put that my <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't know. Kendine, twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, we we appreciate that because. It's yeah, it's it's as good an answer as any, honestly. So, well, we don't really know either, but we're, that's why we're asking. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, Jacob, did you have? Well, I feel like we're in Top Gear right now, you know, and like on that tremendous disappointment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end the show. <laughs> uh, but no, um, thank you so much, Ken. Um, we'd love for you to to shout out, obviously, to all of our listeners. I'm sure that there's other people that be very interested in hearing what you have to say. Where can they go to to hear more about you? Yeah, if you want to see my mentalism products and stuff, I do release a couple of bits and pieces which are lighthearted mentalism, not the scary stuff. That's at mentalunderground.com. And uh, and then if you go to there, you'll be able to find links to like Epic and all the other stuff. And if you want to hear a free podcast every week about email marketing, search on your favorite podcast player for The Email Marketing Show. It does have the world's most annoying feature. That's a claim to fame right there. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ken. Um, we really appreciate you having you on. And again, hey, for everyone that wants to hear more about him, head over to mentalunderground.com. Uh, we've been there all day doing research, so it's a good place to be. 
Uh, and yeah, we will see you uh, next time.